0: so, when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bauermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen.
1: Hey, Phil. How are you?
0: Well, I am super fantastic. How are you, my friend?
1: Man, I am great. I am doing great. Um, got to Friday, so, hey. You know, we we
0: neglected our duty as trackers of ongoing late-breaking stories over the last three shows so that we could present the MIT Breakthrough Technologies for 2017, MIT Technology Review Breakthrough Technologies for 2017 over those three shows. Important job. Somebody's got to do it, so we do it. But I feel like we've got some catching up to do So it's been a kind of a light couple of weeks in terms of shows. So why don't we just talk about all the topics we would have talked about if we had just been doing regular shows, I guess, for the last couple of weeks. That's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have any time to waste,
1: then. We better just jump right into it, then, right? We better just... We better jump right
0: in. It's been 16 minutes on the first one, so uh, let me let me go with this one. Um, <laughs> all right. Could cold spot in the sky be a bruise from a collision with a parallel universe? This was over at theconversation.com. This is almost a tale of the paranormal, except it's not. This is all pure astrophysics as you know there is this big void out in the universe where there aren't nearly enough galaxies it's almost completely empty where the cosmic background radiation is concerned in terms of hey where's all the star stuff what's going on there and astronomers are always trying to figure out what's up with that void why why is that different from everything else because the the, the universe yes,
1: yeah, statistically it should not be that much void in one place. It's, right. The the universe is actually a
0: remarkably homogeneous place, and almost impossibly homogeneous place actually when you when you see the actual numbers to the the the, the statistics, the um, digits that it goes to in terms of how smoothed out it is, in in terms of a nice dispersal of stuff, except for this one spot. Which almost kind of throws off the whole universe because there it is, this big empty spot. What's caused it?
1: Dark matter,
0: maybe? No, you know, some just uh, anomaly. There's galaxies there, but we can't see them. All, all these explanations that are toyed with and then refuted. You know, maybe some big cosmic cataclysm. Like there's a huge black hole there. Lots of different ideas have been discussed. This one is just. The sweetest of them all, you know, just in, a, in, in, in terms of wackiness, this, this one states that early on in our universe, uh, our universe collided with a parallel universe and uh, while we were going through inflation, and that just bruised the universe right there. It's like a, it's like a soft spot on an apple,
1: basically, uh,
0: where, yep. where the apple bumped into something else. In this case, the only something else that you can even imagine in those cosmological kind of terms would be another universe. Something bumped into us. It had to have been another universe. So uh, we bumped into another universe, and it left a bruise in our universe, and that's what that, that's what that big empty spot is.
1: That sounds Let me, crazy. I mean, Go ahead. I take issue with the, uh, with the word you just used, parallel universe. I don't think that's the right word. Um, I, um, a parallel universe, since uh, you know, uh, every decision you know, branches off multi, multiple parallel universes, right? Um, that are still uh, technically this universe uh, what we're talking about is actually a a whole nother you know bubble within the multiverse uh, touching perhaps this this uh this bubble so
0: maybe uh, you know i'd
1: I'm, I'm maybe uh, you know uh, nerding uh, nerding out a little bit on that. I part. think
0: you're using a very technical DC Comics definition of parallel universe there, so um, maybe, I yeah, support yeah. that completely. By the way, you know. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but, uh, but but actually, it's I totally I believe even I believe any other universe can be called a parallel universe because they're kind of in a parallel dimension. But I see what you're saying. It's not a uh, it's it's not a quantum branch universe.
1: It's, not it's a, a, a cosmic inflation, universe. Universe. Yeah.
0: other universe. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: so it's a different
0: kind of multiverse than that kind. If you were thinking of that kind, yeah, I don't, I don't want to throw you off. And I'm just repeating the word from the headline. It did say collision with a parallel universe. So. <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: you know, we always
0: go to battle with
1: headlines. That's kind of what. Yeah, happens.
0: that's true. Headlines, headlines can can mess you up big time. So another universe. Good call, Stephen we'll call that a <laughs> off to the side, an adjacent, huh? Adjacent Yeah,
1: universe. yeah, that's what I, an adjacent possible it's not universe. not parallel, it's know. adjacent universe. <laughs> well, obviously it wasn't parallel.
0: You don't intersect something that's parallel, right? Bang. Yeah. So um, so we bumped an adjacent universe, and that's, that's why there's a hole. And I'll tell you, as crazy as that sounds, if you read this article, and I'll, the, the, the link is here in the show notes, that's It's a fairly rational explanation, and it's as good an explanation as anyone else has come up with to this to no,
1: this you, you, don't, you don't normally resort to uh, exotic solutions to a problem in science unless you, everything else uh, lacks uh, you know, an ability to explain what you're looking at, right? Right. And, uh, and here you're looking at gonna... a phenomenon at the universe
0: level, and you have to ask, yeah. what can affect a universe at the universe level? And one of the possible answers is another universe. So right. there you go.
1: All right. That's, 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 that's weird, to get but, the ball uh, rolling weird, here this cool. evening. What, yeah. what do you got for us? Steve? Well, a little closer to home, Phil, uh, a okay. universal cancer test that detects tumors 10 years before they become dangerous is being developed. Wow. And this, is, uh, this is just flat out exciting. Uh, this, uh, I got this uh, story from the telegraph and uh You know, it's already been tested uh, on more than 120 patients with breast, lung, and prostate cancers. So I mean, we're we're talking men and women and uh, various sorts of cancers. And uh, you know, that's the thing. The key to uh, to cancer survivability and being able to treat it easily is early detection, ten years before it becomes dangerous. You know, I mean, that's. You know uh you, you, that you you basically you're you're about with chemo uh, it becomes one single injection or something you know when you when it's when you catch it that early right I mean it's uh that it, that turns uh, cancer into something that um, um, we perhaps we won't be you want to stop it as early as you possibly can right obviously you want to prevent it if you can but
0: if you can't do that, if it does start, then every day earlier you get it. Is better right there's just no question about it every day it doesn't get to grow is a good is a good day um is is a beneficial day for the for the patient. You know what surprises me about that number though ten years is I didn't realize that cancer was around for that long before it showed its head you know i I knew yeah. that that was the case with like prostate cancer. I didn't realize that other cancers were that sneaky. I guess it's a problem with a lot of them
1: I guess so and and so Um, And I think there's, there's some cancers that are very aggressive and, you know, as soon as it forms, it, it, it tries to kill you immediately. Right. But um, I, I, but most cancers are not that way apparently. And, uh, and so uh, in, you know, you have to have a real bad roll of the dice to get something so aggressive that it's, uh, it it moves extremely fast. So um, I, you know, getting something like this, I, that, that to me would, uh, make most cancer very, very survivable and, uh, and make you know, the fear of cancer that we all have. I mean, everybody you know, if you're not afraid of cancer, then, you know, you're, 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 you're still, you know, under, under age 25 and feel like you're bulletproof because the rest yeah. of us, rest of us have that fear in the back of our minds. Right. So this is something that, uh, this is, this is really promising and exciting. And so I, I would bring this one up. I thought it was Very, good. very exciting stuff. I, yeah. I look forward to having this test applied
0: regularly. <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> this, this is just part of your normal checkup. Yeah,
0: I, I want to know as, as soon as possible. I don't make very many predictions, but one of the few predictions I've made on this program is that in the near future, dealing with cancer would be along the lines of dealing with diabetes for a diabetic in, in this day and age. Right.
1: And this
0: is the kind of breakthrough that makes that possible. If you can detect right. them 10 years out and you can step in and basic, simple interventions might be enough to take care of the problem, then, then we're really kind of approaching that scenario. So I'm glad because of all the cancer, it's going to stop and because it, you know, proves me Right. So it's like a big it's double
1: it's 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 win. And, and and each is equal in your mind, right? <laughs> well, I don't know about equal, but
0: uh, being right is uh, pretty okay. important. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> well, yeah, let's
1: yeah,
0: get awesome. our priorities straight here. No, it's, 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 uh, it's pretty awesome. All right, so let's. I'm sorry. Was, is that is that it for that one? Or uh, yeah, that's it. That's it.
1: Uh, what you got? What you got for yours? All right. Well, this
0: is from nextbigfuture.com. Moore's Law is dead, but GPUs will get a thousand times faster by 2025. Once again, another prediction I made, uh, being uh, being proved right here. But uh, th- this is this is cool. Uh, Brian Wong talking about a series of statements from Nvidia, the the GPU folks. As we have discussed on the program. Multiple times, and this is this is kind of the first time a big chip maker has come out and said this. And of course, it would be the maker of a CPU, a, a non-CPU processor, who makes a big deal out of this. But Moore's law has been kind of grinding to a halt in terms of the fitting twice as many processors in the same space. The the Moore's law that we've known. All our lives. And for those who aren't familiar with Moore's Law, I don't know, welcome to the show for the first time because we've defined it many times. But uh, Gordon Moore, back in 1965, I think, wrote a paper, uh, t- founder of Intel, talking about the fact that over an 18 month period of time, you could expect to be able to fit twice as many processors on a chip as you could fit in the previous 18 months. And he was not citing a law, he was just saying, that looks like something that will work out. And, in fact, it it did work out. It proved to be incredibly accurate and predictive. And the phenomenon you know, behind it has, now. Yeah. Yeah, has been named after him uh, in his honor, after Gordon Moore, so it's called Moore's Law. And it's this idea of doubling of computer power that's kind of driven, you know, it's created our whole economy. It's enabled this show. It's enabled most of the wonderful technology that – You interact with every day, and it's something we've been able to count on for 50 years. That we're going to get. Actually, it's sped up for quite a while there, and it was a year every year we were getting twice as many processor chips. But for the last few years, it's been kind of slowing down. And now, if you hear, if you listen to what not the marketing departments, but what the R&D departments of the big chip makers tell us, it's done. We've we've reached a point where they really can't get any more processors on a chip. And then came the graphical processing units these wonderful chips that were invented originally to make it possible to process graphic information that much faster for video games that's that's why they were invented then folks got a hold of them in the cryptocurrency community, specifically Bitcoin because it turned out they were super fast at crunching those Bitcoin equations and and mining coins and and making people rich. It was a really interesting trajectory that these GPUs have had and then suddenly the AI researchers got a hold of them and said, oh, this is the processor we need in order to do machine learning. And it's been this driver behind a lot of the progress that's been made in deep learning, machine learning. Uh, we were just talking the other, the other night about reinforcement learning that these these big leaps forward in AI have been driven by these new kind of three-dimensional chips is, is kind of the way to, to look at those and to think about those they were never designed to be multi-purpose do everything computer chips but that's what they've been morphing into and not only have they have they changed in terms of taking on more and more computing processes more and more computing tasks suddenly we look at them and we say oh well their future is very bright in terms of the amount of processors that uh, that that you can fit in them or the the amount of processing they can do, I I guess is a, is a better way of looking at it. So just as Moore's law peters out, suddenly the GPUs are coming on strong and I don't know, pretty encouraging to hear, to hear them say that they will be a thousand times faster by 2025. I don't know if that keeps us in line with Moore's law or if that's
1: actually a little ahead of Moore's
0: law, but uh, it gives us a few more years, gives us some breathing room anyway, doesn't it?
1: It does. Uh, Ray Kurzweil um, in, in uh, both his book, uh, Uh, The the Singularity is Near, and uh, the predecessor book, which was uh, Age of Spiritual Machines, pointed out that, uh, you know, what what Moore's Law uh, deals with is, is just integrated circuits, and that's, you know, and eventually that will play out. But he said, you know, looking back in time before there were integrated circuits or vacuum tubes and relays and things like that going all the way back, and, um, and and we've so we've seen the same exponential growth in ability to process at least since the 19th century, and, you know. It's it's and so even you know Gordon's uh, uh, Moore's law is a part of it, uh, but it's not the whole picture. It, um, you know, seeing the GPUs come on and and perhaps maybe quantum computers uh, after that. Uh, it's, it's just showing that this is a larger phenomenon than just the integrated circuit, which is all Moore's law is about. So it's that's, it's interesting. I, I, it's a, a virtuous cycle that we all get to benefit from. It's
0: pretty great. And hopefully we'll now continue, thanks to the yeah. thanks to the GPUs, K- keep us going long enough for the quantum computers really to kick in, and then we, we will actually look back on Moore's law as a kind of a quaint and slow driver at. Uh, <laughs> at, that, at that point, as 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 we start doubling
1: computing power, a, a ne- necessary step. Quaint, but but necessary. Right? Sorry, quaint, but necessary. necessary. Absolutely, yeah, right.
0: for sure. So that that's that's a that's a pretty interesting one. I you know you can read it either way. You can be scared by the by the supposed death of Moore's law, or you can take Kurzweil's encouragement and uh, the NVIDIA statement as evidence that maybe we're not quite done yet, and that uh, maybe things are going to Maybe things are going to push on. I have a feeling they will. That's, uh, that,
1: that's my take.
0: What do you got for us, Stephen? What's next?
1: I think for the first time since we've started doing this stuff, uh, Phil, I'm, I'm going go to go to something published by the AARP. <laughs> uh, it, is, uh, it is actually a video and, and associated article about a marine biologist by the name of David Vaughn. And, uh, he's, you know, he's thinking about retiring. He's getting towards the end of his career. But, right, you know, right as he's about to head to the house, right, he stumbles upon this method for growing coral faster than anyone had thought possible before. Now, what he came up with, it seems so obvious. I, I, I wonder, you know, how it was that it was missed before. But, you know, it probably had been tried, but not quite the way he does it. I mean, he, what he does is he, he ends up breaking the coral apart and growing them in little little pods separately and somehow that, uh, it, it grows so much faster the way he's doing it. And so he's, he, instead of, uh, instead of going into retirement, he's got a new lease on his career and, uh, he feels like, uh, uh, the, the big accomplishment he's made in his career is right here at, at uh, at, at the end. Uh, and so he's, uh, he's out there working harder than ever because he feels like he's got a way to reseed the oceans, uh, the coral reefs. And, uh, Man, that's you know that's huge. Uh, that's huge plant, and it's uh, needed. I mean, have you heard the Great Barrier yeah. Reef? Some say is dying out completely. Whether yeah, it's due
0: yeah. to global warming or, or what the cause of it is, ocean acidification,
1: whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If he can if he can get it to grow faster, let's get let's get him on this. That's fantastic. Now, is 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 this? He's just figured out he's got a few buckets and he's growing them, or is this going to be deployed someplace, or does the
1: AARP story, get into that. Uh, he's he's uh, got, got him uh, working in his lab uh, where, you know, he's got them got growing initially in his lab, and then he goes out, and he's got some younger people helping him, and plants these out in the ocean. And so Fantastic. He's, 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 he's working right there on the coast uh, with his lab, get uh, breaking these corals up into smaller corals that, that grow. And once it gets to a certain point, it's ready to be planted. And uh, so he's rebuilding coral reefs there. And, you know, um, if, if, you know if this method works well, I, I can imagine uh, Australia uh, taking it on and uh, rebuilding their own reef, right? And uh, so very, very cool stuff. All right. That's good, yeah.
0: good story, encouraging story. Well, here's one we're going to have to get into when we next have Tom Frey on the show. Amsterdam and Paris could be connected by Hyperloop by 2021. This was over on thenextweb.com. And there's a Dutch team that won the SpaceX Hyperloop competition that says they're going to have a commercial solution in place on the European continent and that they can have it up and running within four years. I, I don't know that anyone has actually put the money into it to make this happen. But these guys are talking seriously about doing it. And this is a great place to start. When you think about it, a really good way to start Hyperloop is connecting two European cities because they always sound distinct and far apart, but actually they're pretty close together. Um, And, you know, relatively speaking, compared to continental distances, generally speaking. And it would just be cool, right? Get Get a Hyperloop going between Amsterdam and Paris and you've proved the concept and the rest of the world can can follow suit also it lights a fire under asians who'd like to be the first to do things to maybe get one going who knows between uh, beijing and guangzhou or wherever right um the idea that they're talking about seriously doing it that they have a plan in place that could have it done in a, in a matter of years this encourages me to think that uh, we're going to see one of these sooner rather than later i certainly hope so
1: oh yeah uh, that's cool and uh Let's kind of just uh real briefly for the audience, uh, how, how the, how this works is, uh, it, it, within the hyperloop, it's a near vacuum is created and, uh, therefore you can travel without much resistance, uh, uh inside this, inside this tube. And, uh, that's, uh, th- that's the idea. And, uh, it, you know, it, it was thought of before Elon Musk, but, uh, He's the one that uh, really kicked things off with a a white paper that he put out. It's been two or three years ago now, right? Right. And and it's uh, it's you know there's many different companies now that are pursuing it, and uh, that's uh,
0: awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Well, if they get it going, it's it's 510 kilometers from Amsterdam to Paris, which I'm thinking that makes it about 300 miles for those who prefer. The old system of calculating those things. Anyway, it, that'll be a half-hour trip in the Hyperloop. So the quickest, the quickest trip you can possibly take between Amsterdam and Paris. And good luck to these guys. I hope they, uh, I hope they get it going. The sooner we have a Hyperloop working somewhere, the sooner we'll have it working everywhere, and we'll have that networked global Hyperloop world that uh, Thomas Ray talked about last time he was on the show. <laughs> I can't wait for that. That's awesome. Yeah, we just we we gotta have it. We gotta have it in one place first. All right. Well, uh, Stephen, we're gonna run out of time for other geek if we don't. I think jump over to other geek unless you have one more that you wanna one, one more series uh, one. Qu- one one words. quick
1: one. Um, okay. So SpaceX De- SpaceX uh, launched a uh, launched a rocket. Uh, uh, it was late last week, I believe it was Friday, and uh, it. Um, earlier this week, um, it uh, rendezvoused with uh, the space station. And what made this particular trip remarkable is that uh, the capsule that uh, uh, rendezvoused with the space station—it's the first time a vehicle has made a return trip to the International Space Station since the shuttles. Um, you know, they've been using disposable rockets ever since to keep the, uh, the space station going and uh this this is a uh, not a disposable uh, uh, uh capsule this is a reusable capsule and uh and it did just fine and so uh congratulations to SpaceX that's another big big accomplishment for for that company so way fantastic go.
0: that is wonderful all right well that takes us to other geek and i've got a story for you i don't know if you saw this uh on uh it was actually called FanTheory.Viacom.com. I I I don't know who actually is behind this site, but they they're talking about brain research on fans. Okay, they 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 did some research. They showed a South Park episode to people who don't. Have any interest in South Park and a bunch of fans, and scanned everybody's brains at the same time, right, to see what's going on in the in the brain of a fan who's watching a TV show versus just a a normal person <laughs> watching a TV show. And what do you think they found, Stephen? What do you think goes on differently if you would venture to guess in the brain of a fan versus
1: the the brain of a non fan? I would imagine endorphins are being released uh, when when enjoyable parts of the show that you are if you're connecting to something like that, you are getting, you are getting a payoff in the form of endorphins uh, in your brain versus someone who's not into it, not enjoying the show, is not. And, yeah, they
0: may be enjoying the show, it may or may not be enjoying it, but there's a very specific thing that happens with the fans, which is there's a reward function it's It's very similar to um what happens when you win on a slot machine or when you get a hit of drugs right or take a shot of booze for an alcoholic it's it It turns out that the that the the mind of the fan is kind of wired to get these these payoff you described it exactly right it's the it's the uh to think of it in terms of endorphins is is exactly right your 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 brain is seeking a reward in the same way it would be looking for a reward in just about any other kind of tracking down a reward kind of behavior when you're watching something that you're a fan of so this accounts for you know i've got this this idea that fan service is basically taking over movies right that's all movies are anymore it's just it's just endless fan service right the whole Generally, you could say the whole Star Wars thing is what that is, right? The, the, yeah. giving, give, giving the fans what they want. And they actually are. You know, when you talk about being hooked on something, it's really like that, okay? It's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's less of an, uh, um, an analogy than we thought it was, that what's going on in your brain is actually very similar to, to being hooked on something. So I don't know if that well, says uh, a good I mean, thing or a bad thing about being a fan, but, uh, but it certainly well, a, accounts for the experience that you have. Anytime you're watching something and you get that payoff, it's like
1: ah, I love that,
0: right? When they uh,
1: well, and, and you have to be into it and uh, to be able to appreciate. It. For example, imagine someone the first time they've ever seen a Star Wars movie is when they went and saw Rogue One last year, mm-hmm. right? right? And versus versus you or I, Phil, that have been into Star Wars since the seventies, right? Right. You know, it's a very it has to be a very different experience for them. There's, the references that we pick up on. You know, to everything in the series, and I mean, and my kids are even are better at it than me because they're picking up they're picking up references to the animated shows inside right. Rogue One. I'm going, right. Oh, I don't I don't get that because I don't want I haven't watched that, but right, right, You know, the um, it's uh that you know, and every time there's some sort of reference like that, you know, and and it it you know, particularly if it doesn't detract from the story in some other way, if it's if it's building the story, but it's also a reference to all this other shared universe—it's like, ah, uh, you know, this—this this is where, you know, to to some extent, the, these fictional places, we spend some time living in them now. Right. And uh, and and to have and to call back, uh, to other parts of that universe makes it more real to us, and uh, and, and that's and you get a big payoff for that, um, you know, mentally. Endorphin wise or whatever you know when when you when it when it feels more real because it, you know it's it's con, it's obviously connected to the rest of the fictional universe that you're a fan of that's that's a big deal so and and, and the people that are not not big fans they're looking at you looking at your the delight on your face and they're going what's wrong with this person but, but uh, the
0: other question is is it is the movie any good and can a fan even evaluate that at this point
1: right? It's
0: it's it, you know what I'm saying. It's like it's like asking an alcoholic if they can you know
1: to be it's a wine connoisseur at that point. Yeah, it, yeah. it's a, it's a trick to make a make a good genre movie that is appealing to the fans and also to someone that's not. And when they do it and do it right, it's a you know it's it, it generally ends up being a huge hit. I, I think of uh, something like uh, Star Trek Four. Mm-hmm. Which was the one with the whales, right? Yeah, everybody loves that one. You don't have to be a Star Trek fan to uh, to love Star Trek Four, and uh, and it, they made more money with that movie than any other. But uh, you know, is it is it good for the fans? Yeah, uh, yeah, the fans still loved it. You know, uh, but because uh, it was full of Star for, Trek stuff, right? I mean, it was it hit all right. the.
0: Yeah, it hit all the right notes exactly. But it was a really fun yeah. comedy movie. You could go and in but accessible and, and know very little or, little, little, little or nothing about Star Trek and and, and enjoy it. Yeah. yeah so, that's right. Yeah, you're right. That's, that, that's, that's the trip. that's the trick. That trip. is that is that is definitely the trick. Okay. So that's my that's my other geek. You got anything?
1: Oh, I don't know. Just almost a joke in a way. I was uh, reading this with the kids as uh you know as we were about to uh, make the drive from Dallas back to uh, to our hometown Shreveport and. Uh, I, I, I read this to them, and then we were making jokes about this all the way home. And uh, Okay, so here it is. In Lord of the Rings, the orcs say, uh, looks like meat's meet, back on the menu boys when uh, when they <laughs> kill one of their favorite orcs, right?
0: All right and right. so
1: that implies, uh, according to this guy, that uh, that implies that they the orcs knew what a menu is. Orcs are and familiar with restaurants, yeah. Exactly. They know what restaurants is, and so there must be restaurants in mortals. And, and, of course, the response, uh, the need response, from someone on that thread is, I don't know, if you're going to need a reservation, what if it's not somebody who's watching Any Anyway, so me and my uh, boys were making up all the way back to the restaurant names, the restaurant is important. And here are my favorites, Bill. Uh, the first... Uh, wait, I just want to
0: say, before, before you say anything else, Stephen, this is the quintessential other geek right here, okay? Yeah, you and I your mean, we're, 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 yeah, making we're, up we're, restaurant names for Mordor, okay? This is just <laughs> awesome.
1: Go, I, I'm sorry, just,
0: I had to comment okay. there. Go ahead. All right,
1: here, here's, here's the, some of the, some of our favorites that we came up with uh, on the ride home. And, of course, we're cracking up every time somebody comes up with something. Of course. Okay. Yeah, the Prancing Nazgûl's. Okay, um, <laughs> instead of the Prancing Pony from Bree, this is the... Yeah,
0: exactly, the Prancing Nazgul, uh, very nice.
1: Okay, all right, uh, then, uh, you know, some silly ones, are like Cool Sean Beans, okay. Uh, uh yes. very and, nice. And, very and then uh, my, my personal favorite is... One does not just is, uh, walk in, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and my favorite is One Does Not Simply Walk, W-O-K, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, but we were we had a good time with that and that is quintessential other geek.
0: Right that is uh as good as other geeks ever going to get we should probably stop having the feature now because i don't know that you can. <laughs> right. i don't know you can get any geekier than that but we'll try we will keep trying that's that's our pledge <laughs> to you the home yeah. listener all right well fun stuff Hey, it's been great uh, talking with you this week, Stephen. It's been great having you all with us. We're going to be back with three brand-new shows and two dips into the archive next week, so we look forward to being with you all then. And until next time, live to see it.